This is another installment of the Retro Lovely Podcast, and it's also transitioning to be part of the Strike a Pose podcast, because a lot of the things that we've done in the past uh, few days has been very relevant to that, and this very conversation was prompted by realizing that some things that we could capture that would be good for that. And I'm also kind of like amazed. Um, this is like the third podcast I've done in the last five days. So this is like a banner situation because in the first year of doing them, I think there were three. So um, I'm kind of hopeful that there will be more. And actually earlier when I talked to our guest and my good friend and brother, Kent Miller, uh, we were talking about, do we do this as a zoom? How we're going to, how we're going to actually do this. And there's a lot of possibilities and things that, that will make sense in time because there were some visual, well, there's going to be some things that we're going to discuss that if we could like visually show examples, it'd be very valuable. And uh, hopefully we might get to that point where, sure. where we do that. Because I know for some time now, you've been doing um, some videos of, of you working in the dark room and doing this and that and putting them on YouTube, which is which is all well and good. Um, but I'm, also, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious with Strike a Pose, which is our new social media platform. It's a website, but it's a very social sort of thing. It looks like Facebook from five years ago. And the thing about it is, since it's web-driven, there's there's some additional things that we can build into that. Like there's actually modules where we could do online courses. And a person could actually sign up and decide they want to you know, subscribe to a course. Almost like, like a master class for us, right? And, uh, right. you know, I'm kind of curious, like if we get some traction and we get some, some people that have some knowledge that want to share it, it might be something that we could expand into, which I'm kind of stoked about. But let me formally introduce Kent Miller, um, uh, a dear old friend, a uh, collaborator in just about every way possible. Um, we've done so much over the years together. It's kind of, kind of, kind of crazy. Um, and let's just say if I can spend a week in a car with a guy going to and from Florida, that says a lot. That says a lot. I mean, there, there are there are some things that uh, that are you know that, that are tricky as far as navigating which podcasts to listen to, and um, I think you are probably the person in the world who is the the fastest at letting you know when a light turns green between the time it turns green and you're able to get your foot off the brake. I mean. <laughs> I was amazed so many times we're, we're, we're stopped someplace going through a town and, and we're at the light and the light turns green and like, I'm, my foot is coming off the brake pedal and still you're able to tell me that the light's green. I mean, you're so fast like that. It's crazy. And that must be, that must be the New Yorker in you. Okay. Cause I know you guys have no time and no patience for waiting. I think it's more than no patience. Yeah. Right. So, it's so true. So just to preface a bit, even though you're an old friend and we're collaborators, specifically, specifically, Kent and I have worked on music for forever. And uh, in fact, just like I, I, I'm, I'm planning on doing with the, uh, the interview I did with or the chat I did with Corey, I'm going to open that with some of our music because I think it'd be kind of fun to say. Uh, and you just heard Corey for the first time in that, that bumper music, but here she is now live. Uh, I think for this one, I'm going to actually put some, some of the, the mock drunk vampires uh, in here as well. In fact, maybe even that, uh, that one that we're working on that you absolutely killed me with the, with the Tom Toms. I mean, Corey and I were talking about cool, that. Man. We, we fucking love that song. Say I dropped the F-bomb. Anyway. Um, uh, that's because I haven't spoken much yet. <laughs> right, because I'm, I'm, I'm just like hogging up all the air. 
But uh, in addition well, to know. being uh, a music collaborator, Kent has been a professional, full-time professional photographer for decades now and uh, a photographer for even longer. Um, you know, there's a point that came where uh, Kent moved to New York City and uh, even though you went there and you first started uh, doing uh, body work on cars, on, on high-end exotic cars up in Tarrytown. Was that Tarrytown? Or- oh. Yeah, that was Tarrytown. Um, you- well, I, start, I started going there as a musician. Oh, okay. I, I only ended up back painting cars because I ran out of money. <laughs> which, which, as you know, in New York takes about three seconds. Right. Uh, it took right. it took me, I guess, about six weeks, and I ran out of money. Well, six weeks and is a pretty I good had, run. It was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, it was it was a do or die moment, right? Get get some work yeah. and stay. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what it came down to. I uh, I decided I wasn't coming back to Pennsylvania, and I I had to get a job and figure out how to how to survive. It took me another three weeks of living in my car you know to get an, Honestly, to get I was, an apartment. I was just about to ask you if you ran out of money and you got a job, I'm thinking what kind of places could you be staying? You know, did somebody put you up there? So there's the answer. Mm-hmm. Three, three weeks yeah. of, of living like a homeless person, basically. Yeah, it was both. I stayed with a couple of friends when, when I could and, um, stayed in the, in the, you know, in the, I don't forget what even car I had. I was a Toyota forerunner, I think an old, like 85 or something like oh, that. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and I, I basically would just crash out in the back and then, you know, get up in the morning, go to the studio and just basically be in the studio all day until I physically had to leave. <laughs> until they kicked you out. And, uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. And then, and then when I got the job, I would get up in the morning and be at, at work from seven to, I don't know, five or six, you know, and then go get some food and then crash out and then wake up and go to the city and hang out and do the thing. Now, how long did that last for? How many years was that? Approximately, do you know? Do you remember? Which, which part? Well, the, 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 the band and then the, 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 the shop and then the oh, city. That, oh, I mean, I, I did it off and off, off and on three times. Okay. Um, I did the job thing three different times. And the final last one was, I guess, early two thousand, maybe, or or somewhere around there. Okay. I don't know. Maybe maybe late nineteen nineties, uh, early two thousand was the you final that, spot that, where I decided I was going to be just go full time photography and. That feels about right because I think it was near the end of my tenure with the music store that we we would come up there on weekends and do crazy things. And I remember <laughs> yeah, you were in Dobbs was... Ferry at that tiny apartment. Um, with a refrigerator full of film, by the way. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, sounds about right. I think I think at that point in time you were just transitioning to to photography full time. And I'm trying to remember because from when we first met and we're doing music, we had a we had a gap of a few years where we really didn't have a lot of contact. And then we finally reconnected, and you're up there and you're doing that. And um, if I'm not mistaken. It was it was it was then that I really realized how much you had gotten into photography because you had done. Did you? Am I correct? You did some some uh, some courses at NYU, or was it was there one of the schools that you had done some things in, or am I like having a false memory? No, it was SVA. SVA, okay, okay. Um, and then there was a couple other ones that I did. Um, 
just uh, ICP used to, well, I guess they probably still run classes. I did a bunch of different classes. I didn't really do any full-time college type thing, but okay. a bunch of classes. Right, right. Even so. But then... Just to learn what, what I wanted to know, you know. That well, kind of well, if I'm not mistaken, I think part of your story was that you you did those things, but then what you also did was started looking for, you started looking at ads, help wanted ads for people who needed like photographer assistance and kind of kind of bullshit yep. your bullshit your way into some of those um i totally bullshit my way into this <laughs> uh, but it was it was basically because of um my friend beth who was uh an assistant at the time and she said you know if you want to learn some of this stuff you can learn some of this stuff and get paid excellent and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> say what how, how does that work what where do i where do i sign up yeah, so that's exactly what happened. And she's like, well, it just so happens that one of my the guys that she works for needed someone, you know, that at that same period of time. And she's like, well, I can, you know, recommend you. Excellent. And uh, that started the whole ball rolling. So the whole, really, the entire assistant thing started from, as far as I can remember, Beth. She put the, that, that in my head and I was like, man, yeah, this is it. And that, and then you know, two weeks later, I, I never went back to the body shop again. Now I'll tell you what, <laughs> and I love that part too. I'll tell you what, wrong. I, I want to paint uh, a picture here for people who, who, who just heard us talking about you going to New York city, running out of money after six weeks, getting a job doing, you know, painting and et cetera. And then eventually graduating into a couple courses and kind of finding your way as an assistant uh, into the photography world and being able to do it full time. Now, so that was, uh, why was that the mid nineties, later nineties? When would you say that actually occurred that you first did your first assisting job? Um, it would be, the, I'm, I'm sure it was mid nineties. Okay. Probably 94, maybe. So, so here we are 26, seven years later. And what I think is absolutely astonishing to talk about is that you went, you went from that to then becoming uh, you know, an, an assistant that started to work with the likes of, of the notorious and infamous and famous Joe McNally, who is, you know, the Nikon speed lighting guru and time. Was it, was it time? He was a big shooter for time, I think, or was it mm -hmm. uh, yeah, National did, Geographic? Yeah. Yep. National Geographic was another one. I mean, he, he is a living legend when it comes to photography and especially lighting uh as a as a lighting ambassador for nikon or instructor for, for 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 them in fact you guys became such good friends that you had joe shoot your wedding um which i think is a testament to to how well you got got dialed in there um but then you also did some things with him with like workshops and you know yeah you really yep. you really started to elevate your place and to get back to that that six-week period of being somebody's assistant in in recent years you yourself have had assistants who themselves have now gone on to work with like the likes of Annie Leibovitz and others. Um, so it's, it's an amazing like chain, if you will, that it's a path that you lived yourself and, and have mentored people that have gone on to, to start working with other, uh, you know, pretty, pretty big names. Absolutely. So yeah. it's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other twists and turns in there that uh, we couldn't possibly capture in the next hour or so. Cause we really, we really kind of talked about doing this for like a very specific uh, uh, purpose, but uh, to set the stage to say, you know, Kent has seen some things, Kent has done some things. And <laughs> from, things. from the standpoint of like your actual, not all good either. <laughs> well, but as far as like photographically, and this is, this is the problem that you sort of have after years and years of doing it. There are a 
lot of things that you have done and have gotten to do that you take for granted now that most listeners who are photographers on the fringes or who are just getting started would go, Oh my God, you, you, so you've actually shot the fireworks for Macy's now for like, is it a decade going on more? I mean, what, how long has that been going on? I mean, it's quite a while. It's probably more than 10 years. Yeah. And then the parade, I mean, you are, you are responsible for how many different people do you employ during a typical parade? Somewhere between eight and fifteen. Okay, and I've I've I have been one of those people in the past. I've gone up and been one of the crew yeah, that takes a particular times. particular aspect of the parade, and that's my job to shoot. And Kent is the guy that they trust to get the job done for for quite a while. And in fact, you have a ton of work in that book they put together, don't you? Yeah, yeah. They've done, evidently they've done a few books. I only have the one that I have here. That was like the most. It's, it's on the parade, yeah. yeah. And you know, coming up is a, is a big um, mile marker for which, the parade. Which one so, is it? I think it's one hundred. Oh, really? So they should yeah. be probably putting a little bit more money into it, huh? I would imagine it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, I think we still have another year or two. I forget what number we were okay. last year. I mean, just it all becomes a blur after a certain point. Um, uh, you know what? I was just thinking to myself because on the refrigerator here, I think I have all my uh, neck neck tags uh, all together from all the <laughs> yeah, different right? ones I did. Yeah, it's it's quite a few. All the credentials. Yeah. yeah, and I'll tell you, well, I, you you did it a long time with cool. me. Yeah. yeah, from from way back, and then we had a little bit of a gap, and then in recent years, I did a bunch as well until I got. I guess it was was the last two I didn't make it up, or was it just last year? I forget. Because I've well, the one before that there wasn't any because of the COVID. COVID, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, for all the ones that I ever did, I have been lucky never to have experienced shooting one of those parades for you in the rain. I mean, but cold, freezing cold, yes. Um, windy as AF, like, are they going to even you know run the balloons because it's so windy? Been there, but I've never been rained on <laughs> shooting a parade, which I think is pretty cool. Man. That one year we were we were there and it was snowing sideways and Ugh. snow sleet rain all together it was just miserable mm-hmm. um, and then rain you know is yeah. a it, given it's every couple of years yeah yeah I, we've I, had some also absolutely amazing dude, ones where we're basically in a uh, a t shirt or I, you know I had one where I brought stunning my, I brought my niece up with me as a as an assistant the one year and it was gorgeous it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it can go either way real quick. There's no method to the madness for sure. Now, on the same topic as far as accomplishments, um, your work f- for them also extends into other events and uh, quite a variety of different things. So through that, you've been able to f- photograph countless celebrities and your association with them and the people that uh, do these events and then move on to other organizations has basically, you know, been a web of you getting invited to do, uh, you know, really impressive events with some really impressive celebrities because you get the job done. You know what the job is. They know you get it done. They know, you know, it's it, that 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 question is is out of the question when they hire you. There's no, there's not going to be any problems, and it's really well, I make it easy for them. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's problem solving. We've we've had that we've mm-hmm. had that discussion where yes, you're a great photographer. Are there people that are as good? Yes, there are, but they know you. They appreciate your professionalism, and they know you get the job done, and it's not going to be a problem. And you're, you know, one hundred percent responsive to their needs. Like I know I've experienced. Uh, you know, even just you like talking, like, I don't know if it was the James Beard or there was something that I was part of the team and 
they had they had wanted stuff like pretty fast and i think you had your wife with you and and she was doing some work to make sure that you know we're able to deliver images like immediately so that all that all you know factors into why you are successful at it and you know that's not to say that this is you know this is all you do because i mean it it does splinter out um now you talk events and this is something that's going to come into play a little bit for us when we talk about what i want to talk about but you also do um you know commercial work for businesses and companies and sometimes yeah. they, they hire you to go and shoot a display sometimes they hire you to shoot product you know there's a lot of variety of things that you've you've really actually done over the years that gives you a good base of of knowledge and it's some of those things that i've had like memories of that i think oh yeah this is this would be relevant for people that work with um uh, you know commercial applications to kind of like have more of an insight into and uh that's 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 me segueing into where i want to go it's a good segue but 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 real quick uh, uh over the years um, if you had to pick your top most three memorable jobs or things that you had done photographically, would you know what they are? Would you be able to pick three, just three? Just three? No way, man. There's so many. I mean, the parade and fireworks alone yeah. is is stunning. And then the James Beard Awards, I did that for 11 years. Jeez. Uh, doing all the massive awards where you were part of a couple of them where i had yeah. i had five people on my team for those and then remember, yeah. and then we went to chicago and i brought people there and we did we oh. did them there and all your trips down and, to new orleans i was in those all, and all the trips to new, new orleans to do uh tales of the cocktail where mm -hmm. i was part of a team and then i and then i was a team um that that there's just so many mm -hmm. uh, now with L'Oreal, I'm doing a lot of their visual for Armani and, and YSL and many others. It's just really awesome things. Less of the celebrity stuff now, mm -hmm. more, more of the uh, design stuff. Right. Which is kind of cool because, um, yeah, I'm all right with it. I don't really know well, many know, of the celebrities that are out there right now. I think that's, I think that's an interesting thing, too, though, because um, and, and it shows an adaptability and a flexibility because I know in the past there have been points where, you know, event work is, is lean. And I don't, I don't remember the timeline. And I was actually just talking uh, about this to another photographer that, that we work with with the magazine who, who is, is thinking about uh, stepping up their, their game into the wedding market. And... I said, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you can find the right niche and you're able Absolutely. to like get into that. And I, and I, I hearkened back to when you and I were doing it. And I said, you know, when that started, it was because other types of photography were getting a little lean and the editorial style, uh, uh wedding photography kind of kicked in. And I even said to this person, I'm like, I referenced Joe McNally again. I said, you know, let's put it in perspective. Here's a guy who was shooting you know, a tremendous amount for these major publications and major brands all over the world. I mean, he's flying to Russia to shoot, you know, ballerinas on the top of a building. He's doing things yeah, in jet exactly. fighters. He's climbing, mm -hmm. he's climbing this, the, the, uh, the empire state building to take pictures of the guy changing the light bulb on that needle. Right? One of the only people ever to do it. Take, taking a selfie with a film camera. I love that. Those photos with him doing that just, chill me they're just amazing yeah and he's amazing yeah and there's a sure. point where he was looking at wedding photography in fact wasn't no he he we did a few well okay. i didn't he he did a few they were they were i mean you know very select few exploratory though so. yeah, yeah there was there were certain ones that he would do and certain things he would do mm -hmm. but they had to fit his 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 criteria yeah yeah that for makes sure sense. yeah and and 
in all honesty, when I asked him to to do my wedding, I was completely amazed that he had said yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, when, he, I when he responded, I I I brought Amy over and I said. <laughs> Joe just said yes. Yeah, well, you, know what's, our wedding. you know what's funny about, you know what's really funny about that. You you had talked to him about that, and then on the on the on the other road, you said to me, "Now if he doesn't, if he's not able to make it, would you shoot it?" And I said, well, yeah. "Sure, right." And then then you came to me and said, "Oh, Joe's going to come." I'm like, "Oh, awesome, right?" So I can come as just a guest. But then you said, well, why don't you, why don't you shoot anyway? Why don't you also shoot at the same time? So what, what I love is like, I get to, I get to say, I shot a wedding with Joe McNally, right? Not, yeah. Like, you have some awesome pictures that we used as well. Right. Well, because you, you can't be at the same place at the same time. It's always better to have people at different locations. We, we learned that f- from your wedding and when you afterwards and you and Amy were, were putting your book together and you realized, oh shit, there's, there's some that Mike took that mm-hmm. you know happened while joe was doing something else important and yeah joe's in some of them yeah which and when, is also awesome and when we when when you actually started talking about doing weddings um i think that that revelation was one of the big reasons you you decided then you got to have two shooters and yeah and yeah. that i'll tell you i think that really worked out well because uh if i recall like uh usually the the routine was the morning would come you're off with the bride taking care of her getting ready. I'm off with the guys taking, you know, taking the photos of them getting ready. And, uh, you know, it's good because you yeah, get that kind of coverage. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I also really, um, I think it was really, we were probably ahead of the curve, but you know, then, then Amy would come along as well, your wife, and we'd hand her all the, the data cards so that she would she would get them onto a computer and we'd drag out a monitor and she would have a slideshow. She would she'd have a slideshow ready to show all the guests at the reception the morning. You know, yeah. showing them the, the couple getting ready. They loved it. Showing them the, the services. They're coming to eat finally after the after the cocktail hour, which were were crazy up there. And uh there's there's a slideshow of the wedding already. And that was that was pretty cutting edge at the time. You know, that we were it was awesome, getting that sure. stuff turned around so quick. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now they're doing videos at that point. At that oh, really? fast pace. Yeah. yeah. Well, shit. Yeah. They, you know, they should be dragging out uh, Wi-Fi units to get all the guests to log onto a Wi-Fi to transmit transmit their <laughs> video. Have, like no! all like live telecasts no. from every attendee. <laughs> oh gosh! No, make it stop. The the mayhem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, anyway. man, we've done a lot of things. You and I have done a lot, a lot of things together. Uh, and then a great variety. Times fifteen for that. Yeah, you know, so yeah. there's and, a lot. And you know, and then the, the like the other aspect of it too is like it's not just it's there's been creative stuff in between. I mean, we've done oh, things where you know you're working on a calendar for the what was the 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 pilots for pets or what was the name of that uh, Mike's, Mike's oh yeah Michael's thing. Um, pilots to the rescue pilots to the rescue yeah i want to reference yeah. that in a couple minutes too when we talk about uh shooting tether he's doing very well right now oh really very well yeah it's awesome great Good. great organization if you love uh pets and and you want to help uh save animals from being slaughtered oh, basically excellent yeah. excellent um well i'll tell you what let's let's actually pivot just a little bit and we can we can reminisce a, a bit more as we go um one of the one of the reasons i have kent here uh that we're talking is that he has, through all of these different uh, uh, adventures in imaging, um, experienced a lot of things that a lot of first-timers and beginners will not, um, like working for a client. Working for a client that has a specific list of needs. And 
Uh, sometimes that that means working with an art director or working with somebody who's who's pretty much got the ball as far as direction is concerned, telling you what they need. And that means there are things that you have to do to meet those requirements. So let's say hypothetically, let, let me take a couple examples that I know um, you're familiar, you know, that you've done. When it comes to something like, um, say, the parade or the fireworks, um, I'm sure, and I'm sure this has probably changed over time. I'm just thinking in terms of the presence of social media. But when, when you have done those jobs before for them, were there originally any specific requirements that they had of you that they tell you? Well, I mean, other than saying, we got to get the, the balloon teams, we got to get this, we got to get that. As far yeah, as the style of imaging, it's a massive amount of. Okay. Um, as far as the style, um, hero shots, they, they're always, they're always trying to get the hero shots that, that basically tell the story of the parade in one sim single image, okay. which you've all seen going down the West side. Mm -hmm. Those are always iconic, amazing pictures of the balloons and everything right. coming down the West side and the buildings um, and the crowds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then. All of the other things, uh, you know, I have 10 of you guys out there doing all these things. Mm. And then I'm at the bottom at where the performances are happening with all the celebrities. So then what they're also looking for there is Santa. Santa arriving on Dude, 34th Street. Let me, let me tell with, you. With all, with all the madness that happens at, at that point. And if you look at a lot of the pictures that are out there right now those are the shots that i did from the various years i mean it's there's many years i mean you can go back far enough you could see the original the other slave and mm. there, this is this float is an entirely new float which is already how many years old but well here's a question but with yeah how many years old the the santa that's been the santa forever is he still around or has is a transition has the baton been passed to a new santa or Dude, there is no other Santa. That's Dude, Santa. I'll tell you why. Here's the thing. I've, <laughs> that I've, is it. I've been at a few of those where I've I've finished up my job and I start walking down with the parade. And then sometimes I hang out at a particular point. And then finally when you get like further south enough and you finally catch the Santa coming by, people go and see he's a rock star up there. Like they he, lose he their Santa. shit for Santa. Like he, I wouldn't be surprised no if like Santa. panties and like <laughs> hotel room keys get thrown up that float. Like they go nuts for that guy. Uh, that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> okay, that's probably a stretch. But you know, <laughs> I I had there had been some events that I had covered for them down south in the D.C. area where they brought him down, and it's like it's like he is the real Santa to all these people. It's great. Oh, hundred percent. That's cool. He yeah he absolutely. There's nobody else. And then as far as the fireworks, did they have? Uh, did they trust your artistic ability after the first year or two? Like did they let you do? Yeah. The yeah, so that was exactly it. In the beginning, um, the first year I did it, there was not just me mm -hmm. involved in it. They okay. they had to, they wanted to obviously cover their bases and check it out. There still isn't just me. Mm -hmm. There's different points of view um, all over the place. But but um, it's not like it used to be. Um, there was, you know, when I first started, obviously, they don't, it's pretty hard to tell somebody you can do something until they see it. Right. Um, but once they saw it, I've been there every year since, and usually we get some of the best, you know, images that are available at that time. Now there's always amazing pictures sure. throughout, you know, with other people. Oh, some big, of the big uh, there's yeah. there's such 
I mean, and there's amazing photographers in in New York. So, and they're all over. I mean, right. Right. the last bunch of years, it's been on the east on the east side on the East River. But there's some guys who shoot from Hoboken uh, through the city and get uh, the fireworks like saying off the glass of of the buildings. And uh, 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 it, yeah. They're stunning. They're you. stunning. And there's no way I can get that. Sure. You know, I'm I'm not. That's a one shot. They want the entire thing when I'm doing it, so oh, yeah. it's not the same. But it's it's amazing to see when the next morning I get up and I, and everyone's looking at my stuff the same way. They're all like, get up the next morning and they, and they post on Facebook, okay, where are the images? Where are the images? Where's the yep. video? Where's yep. the time lapse? You know, all those things. Everybody's like uh, excited to see it. Well, I am the same way to see what other people got outside of of where I am normally. Now, just, so it's pretty cool. I just had a thought too. So for all the years that you've been doing uh, the fireworks, has that been digital only? Was there ever was there any like uh, how how far back does that go? It doesn't go back pre digital, does it? No, I okay. don't believe it does. Good uh-huh. because that would be hell. <laughs> it was, yeah. as you remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I could just imagine doing fireworks without without being able to do like previews on the spot. I mean, I'd be kind of itchy. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, right now I could pretty much. It's the same settings I use most you of the time. It. Yeah. Uh, almost. I mean, you could kind of tell, but every year is different because the wind blows a different way. Something something changes every year. Mm-hmm. The location is always different. Um, so there's always, even if it's on the east side, I'm not in the same spot every year. So okay. there's always some some variation. As far um, as- but no, they don't really give me a, a much of a. The only time that I've had Im- influence from them is when they're doing a show and they know something is going to happen that they really want to they know the capture. Up, yeah. yeah. There's like, we've had waterfalls off the, off the uh, Brooklyn bridge and things like that. They, they need to give me a heads up on certain right. things like right. that. And I get a, I get a tech sheet because I can't hear the performance hmm. that you guys hear on, on the TV because it's not, I'm, I'm not where they are. So even if they were playing it, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't I can't hear yeah. it. So they need to tell me, you know, basically it, it's, it's down to the second. So once it starts, I can, it's all timed Got it. um, for the performance that you see. That's why it all matches up. But that's the only the direction I usually get from them, uh, because there's no way I could possibly know that. I mean, obviously, I I have fast reflexes, but there's still okay. <laughs> right. you, you right. can't you know yeah. it it helps a lot to have a heads up. Yep. Well, you know, interestingly, what we uh, right there when I asked you the question about film, I had a flashback to something else that I think it, now this is this is taking a slight detour backwards, but I think it's important to. Uh, to, to get out there for the people that listen to this um, as far as like things that you've done and accomplishments. And, and earlier I said, you know, there's probably so many that you forget about them. When I said film, I had a flashback to, uh, oh, no. to, to the, to the, to the, to the Kodachrome, right? Um, oh yeah. Dude. Yeah. So, so to those listening um, and this gets a little tricky as, as far as the statement goes, because for some time I was able to say that my friend Kent was the last person on earth to shoot a roll of Kodak, Kodachrome slide film to be processed. And we, th- we thought that was going to be the case, but apparently there was some other sneaky photographer out there that had a roll that he shot and had it developed <laughs> after you. Even, even though that plant was supposed to shut down, right? <laughs> well, no, he developed the same, the same time I did. Oh, really? He, okay. he, had, he had the actual very last run. Okay, but, but 
Was his was his the subject of a uh, Good Morning Sunday Morning? What was that? CBS Good Morning Sunday Morning. Yeah, C- CBS Sunday Morning. Right. Yeah, so, CBS Sunday so Morning. You yeah. actually had Columbia Broadcasting Systems news team come with you to do a shoot with with one of the last roles of Kodachrome in front of yep. the George Washington Bridge. Correct. With our buddy Carl Carlos. Carlos. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if 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 you want to Google that, okay, try and try and discern what we just said as far as, as well, you know what? I'll include a link. I'll I'll find a link to a video of that. But it's it's it's, it's on my website. Okay, I'll 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 have the link to your website on that. I, it got it got cropped off at the end. Oh really? Um, yeah, I don't know what they did on the YouTube link. It got it just stops playing. Oh. But the whole beginning part is my interview part and the rest is Steve. So whatever. When they, when they, <laughs> but they do, they do, they do just take kidding. it out to, was it Kansas that they took the film to to be processed? Yeah. yeah it exactly. Was, yeah. It was, it was that the, the sole last standing processor that had all the chemicals and the knowledge to process that slide film mm-hmm. basically said, we can't do anymore because Kodak's not making the, the chemicals and we don't have any more. And this is it. Yeah. Once, once the last, package was opened that was the end but yeah. i'll tell you what even even though you share that distinction with that other dude it's still quite a quite a photographic milestone if you think about it yeah and dude sharing it with steve mccurry is dude, is yeah. no is no nothing to bad thing nothing. That's, yeah that's, i mean that's not bad kidding? company to be in yeah no no not at all yeah. i i was pretty stoked to find out that it was him actually <laughs> i did when we shot that that was, you know, prior to knowing what was going on. I didn't know that until that came out. Dude, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Now, did, did yeah. they do like a documentary about him or uh, a movie or something? Uh, he's been in so many things. I would never know. Okay. I mean, they, but they did, they basically did the same as with me. They with did yeah. a bunch of, uh, you know, behind the scenes things. And, and then he also went to, uh, he took the role and, and showed different spots in each frame. Mm. So, was a totally different take than mine. Mine was more of a commercial shoot with the last roles, and his was literally him going out and performing his magic right. on the la- on the very last role. That's cool. Yeah, pretty cool. That's very that's very cool. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad I remembered that because that's that's definitely worth talking about. Um, so to to move it forward, we're talking about the the parade, the fireworks, and this is where it gets really relevant to. Um, you know those who are here from from strikeopposed.club and for retro lovely and this is from the standpoint of you know a lot of times if you pick up a camera and you're taking photos and you're composing them to suit yourself in the moment great okay that's 90 that's probably 90% of you know shots that are created is for that purpose um, the difference when it comes to uh, a commercial application or when you're when you're you know hired by somebody else to do a job or you you have a specific need for uh, formatting that's when some of this other stuff becomes kind of relevant and I, I kind of want to uh, ask you how do I ask the question the right way how many how many different jobs have you been on where there is an art director present if that's their formal title or like with the with the calendar shoot because I know I know Michael was out with us that day when we we're at that airport shooting for him and uh, was that New Jersey. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Was, you did do one of those. He, I remember that now. He, yeah. he was there, right? Well, that was that yeah, was the one was where there. the guys 100%. in the tower got mad at us because you had that six thousand dollar German made reflector blinding them. Yeah, remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're laughing. I totally they came down that, from the yeah. tower to tell us to stop. 
Yeah, it was pretty blinding, though. It was, yeah. yeah. It, it could probably would probably would have fried bacon if we aimed it at some bacon. It but, was brutal, yeah. But he, You're right. So even though he is the, the calendar coordinator and the owner of the, 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 you know, the effort, in that in that capacity, that day he was effectively an art director because you had a you had a digital tech with a laptop and you were shooting tethered. So your camera was connected to the computer, and you Correct. had a, you had a digital tech watching things. And periodically we would go to the we would go to the monitor to look at the shots, and Michael would look at them and say, "Yeah, that's 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 what we're looking at." So how many yeah. how many different times have you had that as part of your situation? Be it be it like that or. Uh, you do a lot of work for different companies shooting product. How often is there somebody standing over your shoulder, uh, giving you giving you direction? Um, uh, probably about forty percent of the time now. Okay. Um, but the difference of it is, is basically any job that is in the studio or not super super fast moving, I'm shooting tethered mm-hmm. uh, because the screen on oh. a laptop yeah. is way bigger, better. Than, than trying to look at any camera and plus you have more you know tools to be able to see if you're spot on or not right and it just works for me not everyone does it and most people that don't do it usually are photographing fashion or people in some manner of speaking sometimes it's a bit more quiet. um yeah. yeah and and it's also if you're shooting you know doing a high-end portrait and you celebrities don't really care but normal people will want to see the laptop um and things like that celebrities eh, they just want some to get do, done, some, get most don't way. yeah yeah they 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 know why they're there they trust that the people who are hiring me to be there are competent enough to get what they want and they and obviously i'm not there to make them look bad in any way right right that makes sense so they they sort of they don't bother a whole lot some some are hands on but most they don't have time for that. <laughs> now it's it's the other stuff that really matters. Like so, if you're doing a magazine shoot, or well, you're doing uh, you know what? That's exactly like where that. I was just going to go. So, have you ever had a situation where you're doing something and there's there's an art director type person there, and you're shooting tethered? Have you ever had a situation where they literally have like a, a shot list that they want, where they say to you, "We need this," you know, if it's if it's a subject, if it's a product, we need this. Um, you know, left, left, left of center, because we want to use it this way in a final like catalog. Do you have even, even more, my friend oh, in capture in capture one, you can do an overlay. Oh, no, I was going to get to we that. Will, we will, will even that. have an actual drawing, um, that we would, or drawing. I mean, you know, a, a digital, a digital, it, file. It, yeah, yeah. a digital drawing at this point, but, um, but yeah, it's not like the old days in four by five when we'd actually have the art director sketch onto a piece of acetate and put slow that down. on the back of the camera. Slow down, slow um. down, slow down, slow down. Hold on. You, you just in rapid fire succession touched upon five or six things I wanted to get to in detail. Now you and I are talking and we're talking tethered and we throw that around. We know what the deal is. So many, True. so many of the people that are going to listen to this through our channels are going to be. What do they mean tethered? Now, I want, I want to go step by step with some of these things and, and define some of what you just said. Tethering is when you have your your camera and has uh, a number of different connections on it. Very often, uh, modern cameras will have um, the ability to connect to a computer real time or even just a monitor for that matter, and that lets you see the images that you just shot, large 
live and large on that screen. In the case of mirrorless cameras or the cameras that can have live view, you can actually use it in such a way that the monitor has a real-time feed that somebody can watch it and say, oh, I like that. And, and maybe you decide that's the photo. So tethering yep. is connecting to another device for uh, data storage and viewing and then cr uh, checking things like uh, to back up. Histogram. Again. Histogram. I was just going to say, when you when you mentioned the techs, um, they're the guys that are watching for blown highlights and, and possibly uh, the exposure doing things that are going to be problems in the shadows. And for, for those of you listening to this, uh, from the eyes of Retro Lovely and Strike a Pose, these are the things where sometimes we will get submissions and we will get images and we will see a, a very lovely image of a model in a setting. And sometimes, you know, she can look fantastic, the pose can be great, the styling can be killer, but if, if you had that model in a white dress in a sunlit field and the light's hitting her enough that the dress gets gets basically becomes a white a white smudge that there's no differences in the details that's the sort of thing from a very um, a photographically critical way or, or place that we look at it and say yeah it's it's killer but they missed they missed this aspect of it the dress is blown out there's no detail you can't see where the folds are you can't even see where her her her, her shoulder changes from the dress to her shoulder same way for shadows sometimes we see you know photos of uh, a model with with darker colored hair in a darker environment and if you don't have definition and the shadows are just you know totally black then it looks like their face is floating on a sea of, of black ink and yeah they're just crushed yeah and once you see that it's hard to unsee it and it's the sort of thing that as far as it's hard to save it too. It's hard, very hard to save it. Very hard to save it. I think, I think the shadows are a little bit easier to save than blown highlights. Like once they're gone, they're, they're pretty gone. But the pretty thing much, of it is, yeah. is that you, when you're, when you're taking these images and you think you just nailed it and you think, Oh, that's a cover. Um, here's the, here's the thing. There's a lot of other technical things that you should really be aware of because when others see those things, then it takes away, it takes away from that shot. They think, Oh, it could have been amazing but they missed that detail. And the reason you shoot tethered, the reason you have a tech there is because, say somebody like Kent, you're out at an airfield and you're shooting a calendar where you have all this talent in one place at one time between the models, assistants, uh, you're taking valuable time from the airstrip. They're, they're, they're gracious to give you the space. You've got the owner of the, 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 the calendars there to try and help out. You don't want to blow it. You don't want to have a situation where you take a bunch of photos and then after the fact, you're like, oh, geez, that's great. But God, her forehead is completely white when we analyze it and it's going to look funny in print. So tethering gives you all that sort of capability. Now, it gives you another set of eyes that, oh, absolutely. You know, basically, I'm concentrating on the talent, I'm absolutely. concentrating on all the other things. The tech is looking at the computer making sure that all those things are right and can also adjust them on the fly as we're shooting without me having to deal with it. Right. And right. Checking for sharpness and making sure that I'm hitting the spot and, and then the exposure, like what you're saying. But then on top of all that, then you're also being able to bring in that, that overlay, like we were saying. And we'll get there. And make sure. All right. Never we'll get mind. There. We'll get there. Cause there's going to be more. I'll let that. you go. Well, I'll tell you what, though, you, when, when you just, you just said something right there, as far as like with the tech looking at things, I, I actually feel like I had a, I'm, Maybe I'm wrong, but 
if I'm not mistaken, I think that day at that airstrip, um, the stylist was out with us too. And she was watching, she was watching for problems with her world. She's watching for problems with the wardrobe and the hair. This is the big one. Photographers, even if you have a professional stylist and they do a great job, that doesn't mean that the hair is going to stay perfect throughout that shoot. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be wardrobe issues throughout that shoot. We see a ton of images that you, you know they started out in a great spot, but somewhere in the middle where you've got this great photo of the, of the, the model, be it for her facial expression or her pose, whatever, the recipe is all there. But then you notice it looks like the hair got hit by, a, by an air compressor, okay? And there's, there's, <laughs> there's craziness, okay? If, if you're shooting commercially for models and you don't have the stylist with you during the session, okay, you should be aware of these things and you should be able to decide at times to stop and say, I'm sorry, um, this is great, but we have, to, we have to touch up your hair. And even if it's the model has to do it, even if she has to run her own fingers through it to, to tame some of the stuff that, that happens, we see a lot of that. We, we see sessions that we know they started out great, but then somewhere in the middle, some of these things, some of these details got away from them. So that's you, normal, man. It oh, just absolutely. happens. But that's why you have an extra set of eyes or two or three. That's the point. Think about yeah, having sure. somebody as, as a safety net. You know, always. I've, it's I've been way there. better to have more eyes, four eyes than, than two. Man, yeah. For I've been, sure. Especially I've been there when you're myself. trying to concentrate on exactly on the picture and looking through the viewfinder. There's, there's too many details for of, one person. Yeah. There's too many, and you're sort of that tunnel vision definitely takes over. You're you're looking at trying to make sure those eyes are in focus, and, mm-hmm. and 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 then you're not concerned. Well, the dress is falling completely wrong, and it, you're not going to be able to use any of those because they look terrible. Exactly. They're, you know, or or the hair is covering up one spot, or there's a, a huge flyaway sticking out someplace. Yes, yes. And and to retouch a small flyaway is fine, but when you have a whole hunk of hair that's missing. It looks. It doesn't look good. I mean, unless you're a really, really, really talented retoucher, which you know, I'm guessing most of us are not. Well, plus it's a matter of the time. The time it would take to just fix it before you shot versus after is phenomenal. Well, that's always better. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Now, another thing that a person could actually do. So let's let's say you have the stylist and she does her thing and and she doesn't stick around during the session and say there's nobody else. This this could be a really good um, reason to say you know what when when you're shooting somebody like that. Um, maybe a good practice would be to, at some point, like take a dozen photos, stop and review them. Okay. And when you're in the moment and you're taking the shots, okay, you get numb to those things. But then when you start Mm -hmm. to do the playback on your monitor, or if you have a laptop there, take the card out and put it in there look at it on the screen, that change of perspective might reveal things to you that you might've missed if you just kept shooting. So you you can, you can self review. We can do now, um, I don't know if you've done it much, but I, I have a little a little uh, ninja, uh, Atomos nin- ninja, and I can just pop that on the top of my camera mm-hmm. or on the side on a stand, mm-hmm. and it and it it gives you you know via HDMI it gives you another view of oh, yeah. those images yep. that's way higher res yep. usually, and 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 you know four times bigger. So anything that you can see more detail, you're going to catch more things that Absolutely. would be wrong. Absolutely. Yep. So, I mean, and you can buy some of those, those screens for a hundred bucks. Well, you know what I was doing? I, I never did that, but when I, that oh, first, you're, you're, 
the first body that I had that had the pretty predictable uh, Wi-Fi output, I used to have an iPad sitting there. In fact, iPad, yep. for certain models, yep. like for certain models that were more on their game than not, I would actually aim it at them so they could see what was happening real time. And yeah. I can't tell you how many instances that they self-adjusted or they noticed something because they could see the screen. Oh, hundred percent. I think I think Miss V was one of those. We we have both worked with Miss V previously, and uh, yeah. you know she's on her game and and very very high attention to detail. And in those instances, I, you know, I remember one one time where we did that, and you know she could see them, and like literally it was like. I was there kind of to make sure that the lights were right and that I was clicking the shutter button. You know, it was, she really, <laughs> she really was like driving the poses and everything else. Cause she's just yeah. at that point. Anyway, that, I think, <laughs> I think that is all a great explanation as to what tethering is and why you do it and what the value of having other hands and other eyes on a session that's important to you. Now, if you just, yeah, if sure. you're just going out in the field for the afternoon and taking some pictures and want to get lucky, fine too but these things are for those who want to really hone their craft now we're definitely now going to get into overlays okay um Overlay. overlays and this is fascinating for me because uh i think at the one workshop when we were talking about this you mentioned the old days now this requires some defining because a lot of kids i'm sorry kent or old they don't know what a film camera is. They've never seen them. Now, even if they have seen a film camera, odds are it's a 35 millimeter. Okay. Now, there are some big ass cameras that exist, medium format, large format. And what we're talking about with that is that the actual medium, the actual, not to say medium in size, but the actual material is a piece of film. And that comes in different sizes and shapes 35 millimeter film on a roll, roll or there's a number of different formats, five by seven, um, eight by 10. What, in fact, what are the different formats that you're using currently? Cause you're like a, a maniac with using out of date film. I mostly use five by seven, five by seven four for by that. Seven. But what's uh, four, yeah. four by five, and four by five. Yeah. Okay. I don't have any eight by 10. Okay. And you, you had previously used some medium format, like SLRs, like the Mamiya's and the, the, I still use uh, the Mamiya RZ 67. Cause that has a ground glass black, uh, ground glass back too, doesn't it? It does not. It it's does a not. viewfinder, oh, but you can from on top though. You can get to it from, from on top, top. right? Yeah. Okay. So you can't. It is ground glass on the top. But the same thing would apply as far you, as getting in there and drawing on it with a wax pen. You could, yeah. You could. You could take a little piece of acetate and just pop it on the top there. It wouldn't be. <laughs> it wouldn't be as easy to tell, right? Because as, as a four by five, because the way it works, yeah. Yeah, just because your eye is much closer to it. But, okay. So but what yeah, we're, it, it would help you for sure. So what we're talking about here is this. You have your camera, and it has the capability that you have this nice big viewfinder or focusing screen called the ground glass, and it's ground because I think isn't that uh, what helps it with the focusing as far as like well that that's viewing. how you see the images. That's how you if see it. it. Was yeah, if it was clear, you wouldn't see it. It projects from the lens it has onto to kind of this like, like a frosted thing. Yeah, it's like a frosted right. look. Yeah, so it's so ground glass, but it's not ground. It's just you know. It's like roughed so up. Speak. Yeah. So, yeah. so the benefit of this is, well, first off, the photographer gets to see the image. Okay. In a commercial situation. So in the old days before digital, you're in a studio in New York city and you're shooting a campaign for absolute vodka and the art director is standing right there and they know they need some shots for some billboards, um, for inserts, for newspaper ads, for magazines, full page magazine ads. And, it's really kind of like kind of like ironic, but if if you were in the studio and you were actually using a four by five camera, the shape of that is almost precisely what most magazines would be anyway. 
okay? And this is, this is something that uh, we'll refer to what we call aspect ratio. Now, modern, modern uh, digital cameras are typically mimicking the aspect ratio we would have had with... What is that? Come on, amateur move. Anyway. Uh, that's the second time it did it. Oh, really? I didn't catch it the first time. Yeah, um, I know. But the thing of it is, with, with 35 millimeter, two, two to three aspect ratio, that's, that's a decidedly different shape. Well, let's put it this way. Remember the old days of Instagram when everything had to be square? All right. Mm -hmm. That was a great education yeah. for people to realize, wow, that photo that I took of the landscape looks like ass when it's square. Okay. If I crop it square, it just looks, it falls apart. It's stupid. It doesn't work. And that was actually, believe it or not, a common, I don't say problem, but that was in the, in the old days of, of, of audio for, for people that were doing album cover design or CD cover design, which are almost square. Well, the albums were, and the CDs were close. Um, that was always a challenge for them to take and, and have, um, you know, the work that they were doing work in, in that particular, you know, format. And the thing of it is, it's the sort of situation where if you're not thinking about it ahead of time, um, you really have limited options as far as what you can do to take, uh, you know, to make it work. Uh, in the case of albums, it, it ended up being that you'd have like uh, an image that had, uh, that was letterbox. So there's like, you know, solid colors on top or on the bottom, or they, they crop in real tight on the artist, or they do things with, with graphic design to, to kind of, you know, to get it to fit. But in the good old days of film, the ground glass, <laughs> you would, you'd, you'd have this, this art director there who knew that we needed images for all these different applications. And they've been across the bridge before where they had great shots, but they couldn't use them because the format didn't fit. It was like a triangle and a, and a round hole or a square and a round hole. And what, what, what actually kind of like developed was the art directors would come in with like what Kent was saying earlier, an acetate. So a clear piece of, of transparency film or plastic. And they would, they would draw out a frame that would show an intended end use. So if it was a billboard, billboards tend to be a lot like our smartphones. They're wide and they, they generally have a, an aspect ratio. That's a lot uh, more extreme. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, know what yeah, it is, for but sure. probably closer to like a 16 by nine, like we have in wide, wide cinema type things. So the images that would, would be needed for that are distinctly different than what they would need for the back of the magazine cover or the back, you know, like an ad in a magazine. And they would have a different acetate for that with, a different shape and then a little drawing of the bottle or whatever it is. And right, right. they would either give it to the, to the photographer or if they were literally putting it on ground glass, they would, they would tape it to the glass or, or sit it on it if they could. And literally real time frame the live subject matter, be it a person or a product to match up the design. It was almost always product. Well, when I was, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually I had a stint doing product photography for Saks Fifth Avenue, and yeah, yeah, we had overlays in the computer where it showed you where it had to be, not where they wanted it, where it had to be. Like you don't right. get paid, yeah, yeah, for sure. You don't get paid unless it, it it's filling <laughs> these areas and is at this angle, and you know, I mean very specific because they want everything to look the same, and they knew this. So check your text quick. Oh, ah, I see you. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I can handle that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, right. I, I think you can describe uh, what's going on with this as good or better than I can right now, man. You, you're nailing this. Yeah. And so, so I mean, you've, you've had experiences with this where you've seen it firsthand. And it's, it's actually that important. And for, for Rich for Lovely, for the magazine, um, the problem that we see a lot is that you've got so many people, they have their digital cameras and they are in this particular aspect ratio, which is two to three, which makes for wonderful four by six prints. And it also is great on the back of a smartphone and people will, you know, make some amazing images at this, at this format, at this aspect ratio. When we get them and we see these submissions and we have all this work and you see these photos, it's, usually you can see pretty quick because you know if you're just looking at them by themselves they do look a little tall and the problem that we have is we see lots of work that we love that we would love to feature on the front cover of a a publication and when we get them into layout time and time again we find that the photographer filled the frame of the particular camera they're using which is two to three aspect ratio mostly and those images they present problems because if we put them into the layout and the composition looked great, the photo looks great, that shot, full frame, we put it in layout and we are often presented with a lot of difficulties of making those work. Um, at, at, you know, if we're lucky enough that we can fill the page with the image and not have it fall apart compositionally, f- fantastic. More often than not though, there's a lot of details and uh, composition, you know, compositional features that really kind of need to be there. Or when you do enlarge them to fit into the into the page, details get cut. Like uh, imagine imagine a wonderful photo of a model head to toe, and it's killer, and it's 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 filling the frame. We we have the problem where if we put that into the layout, we're going to be cutting her off at the angles, uh, or or parts of her head. And often, uh, I hate when somebody cuts them off at the ankles. And often the they just worst. look bad, and we really can't use those. Um, the other, the other thing, and you might you might appreciate this, but um, a couple of weeks back, uh, we actually put onto our submission form a notice that stated, "We will no longer consider work for covers that are not cropped to eight and a half by eleven." And I have, oh yeah, yeah. I have to tell you, the number of submissions that I'm getting now, that we're getting now, that that I see the photos and they're cropped to eight and a half by eleven, is actually pretty heartening because it means that people have seen that. I mean, there's a definite yep. there's a definite bump in the number that I'm seeing that are eight and a half by eleven, and I'm kind of heartened because so often people just don't read, or they don't pay attention, or they just go with what they know, and I'm heartened mm-hmm. by this. Yeah, but yeah. but. My instructions on the page also says you also have to consider the crop and the trim, or the trim, really. I'm st- I still have a lot of them that, while they're still 8.5 by 11, they're still filled to the point where some of those feet and some of the tops of the heads or the, the hands off the edges <coughs> are going to get lost because here's the thing. If mm-hmm. you if you shoot and you have an image and you're looking at it on your phone or on your computer screen and it's eight and a half by eleven, well, guess what? It will scale to match the playback medium. So it's going to scale to your phone. It's going to scale to your computer. You're going to see it all, and it's going to look great. You're going to go, I have a cover. But it still could be a situation where you get it to us 
and we put it in our layout. And while it looks great in the layout when we're looking at everything as far as the full image, fantastic. But here's the thing. The actual print process doesn't fully present you the entirety of the image. They have to print larger than what you actually will end up with in your hands. They literally have to, because they, they can't on a commercial press print to the edges and have it work. What they have Bleed. to do is, they, exactly, they print, mm -hmm. they print a larger piece of paper and the image has to bleed beyond where the page is going to ultimately be. And they trim it down to size. And this is why if you ever, and here's, here's a great way to think of it. If you ever go to like, uh, like I, I dare anybody right now, go to Vistaprint and pretend you're going to make a business card and use their online editor. And when you do this, you're going to see some lines on, on, their, on their templates that show you safe areas. And basically, this is because they, they're doing the same thing where they're going to have to trim down the paper that they cut to meet the final size. And you get to see those marks, which will show you this is the safety area or this is the line that's actually going to get cut, more or less. And mm -hmm. this is something that a lot of people don't think about. And here's Did you ever make one of those for your layouts? Oh, absolutely. Like it, well, is there anything downloadable? We, we, can, we can actually upload a template that would show all those lines. But yeah. Then, but then the other thing though is that would rely on photographers really thinking about actually downloading it, putting it into a file as an overlay. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and honestly, I'm just thinking about people who actually do their own Photoshop work. It would be definitely for the studios and for oh, the yeah, more of the yeah. end of it. Yeah. I mean, Maybe, but they're probably not anybody who's making this mistake anyway. Though, we, we actually have a page on the site that talks about all of this that actually has, exactly. uh, uh, there's actually, we actually encourage them to, to contact us if they want that, but we just don't have it on okay. like wholesale because oh, okay. it's the sort of thing where the person would really have to be on, I don't say on their game. But they would have to be at a certain point where they were willing to take that time to do that. And I hate to say it, but it's not been that many. There hasn't been that many right, people that right, have asked for it. Right. So I'm hoping that these kinds of conversations will help us get there. But because I, yeah. I, even, I even offered it as a, like a PNG file so they could actually use it as an overlay if they were using a computer and shooting tethered. I mean, yeah, I went yeah, that far. Exactly. Fact, I mean, I, I, I do that exact same thing. I get those from, from the client. Or or if we have a generic thing and we know what the print size is, you can go online and just get a generic one that will right, show you right. you know, an approximate bleed. Now, obviously, every offset and every printer is a little bit different, but most they're, most people are using like some a, sort of online service now. And, and so. It's almost been a universal standard where uh, yeah. most print, print applications, they want uh, a 16th. Uh, of an inch around the, the, the live area for, for trim okay. and the bleed. And then they also like, here's another thing a lot of people don't realize is they'll, they'll talk about uh, uh, slippage. Now it doesn't much, it doesn't so much matter with like small run things, but let's say in the good old days of like when we, when we started the magazine and we're printing 5,000 copies of an issue, those are, mm -hmm. those are being done on big, big presses. And those presses are flying. Like they probably get through the entire print run in a couple hours of like five thousand copies. But when they actually Easily. when they actually do the binding and the trim work, okay, you've got a situation where they're taking five hundred sheets of paper at a time, putting on an, an industrial cutter, and slicing through those 
on the aforementioned line. Now, you could probably go online. And look I've at actually it. witnessed it. You've seen it, right? It's so, amazing. So yeah. what, what's interesting is when you see that blade coming down through that shit, right? Here's the thing. A Oof. lot of those pages are, are glossy and they're slick. And even though they're held in place, they'll, they'll move around a little bit. And a touch, yeah. I'll tell you, it's it's really fascinating for me. There's been times where, like, with um, let's say I have a couple cartons of the, the old issues, I can go through even just one carton and pull out five different magazines, stack them up on a table, and and have them like you know on their spine, and they're not they're not the same. They're not identical. Like the places where mm. the, the the lettering yeah. on the spine falls, they're 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 all different. And the same thing for the covers. That's why, if you recall. You did mm. you did some photography for our good friend uh, Chris Kurtz for the band Pop Tart Monkeys. Oh and, man, yeah, right. And yep. Chris is doing some amazing things right now. Um, he's making history with some new technologies. Uh, but back in the day, when he was wet behind the ears and had a band that was you know performing and making CDs, Kent did some some photography for them, and I did some artwork for one of their releases. And when we did it, there were some themes with it that we had that got to be pretty particular um i don't know if you remember but on the inside of the 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 the, 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 the digit book it was a, like a six <laughs> it was like a six panel booklet and there's a spot where the they had like another booklet that that slid into a little pocket and from a design standpoint we we ended up putting a graphic of a razor blade right on the edge of this pocket and uh. Here's the thing that that if you just like went about it like willy nilly, um, could have failed horribly, right? You could get some of them where it's like it's crooked or it's this or it's that, and for that particular project with the particular vendor that they used to, to produce those, they ended up using a die cutting process to make those booklets. And what that does is, it takes it one step further where they say we can't risk this we can't put this to chance as far as far as where the cut is going to be and instead of using a big machine with a blade cutting through you know 500 pieces at a time a die cut imagine imagine a cookie cutter right what they do is very specifically they align it the registration just like they did with the plates for the different colors for the print process the actual cutting aspect is also registered and the cuts are exact every single time so if you've ever had a a, print, a piece of print material in your hands that fits together in such a way that it's perfect. Odds are good that was a die cut process, but that's just you know one other thing in the in the print world that you know you, you'd have to think about as far as how are these things going to be cut. So for us, stuff gets trimmed away and you don't know exactly where it's going to land. So what that means is you typically want to leave about a quarter inch around the entire image for for the cut and for the slip factor. So you know these are things that people just don't think about. So while I'm excited about, you know, seeing more eight and a half by 11 work, I got to try and get people thinking in terms of like, you know what, we need a little bit more just as a safety net. Just leave a little space around that image as you're shooting. Right. And, and you know, this is, this is something that like I, I get into debate with and sometimes arguments with photographers who <laughs> have had it. Pre- you got to pre-visualize where the logo is going to be, man. Well, not only that, like the mass and everything else, but so yeah, many, yeah, so many sure. photographic educators preach, fill the frame. And I'm like on the opposite side of that spectrum. I'm like, no, don't fill the frame. Like yeah, for me, you can't do it. Well, you know yourself, there's people that preach, you know, shoot raw, right? Shoot raw and process it later. I think you should extend that to include your final crop. Okay. Don't, don't decide on the final crop until later when you're on the computer. 
So right. pull back a little bit so you have some space. Pull back a little bit so you, you have... You know what's interesting is saying that on some of these cameras, you can actually have the image cropped in your viewfinder, mm-hmm. but then when you get it at home on your computer, miraculously, There's more. the entire file is there. Yeah, That's exactly what's happening. Now, if you have that option... I th- that you can that you can set. I don't know if Canon's. Do I think it's or, just Nikon doing that. Because I remember back like, on your. I think some of the Fujis do that do too, they? don't they? Okay, they might. But I remember back on your D two X. I was envious of the fact that you had a you had a four four by five uh, frame on that sucker. Wasn't wasn't yeah, that on the D two X? Yeah. But they, I mean, they've had it pretty far back. But we, the problem Nikon's had that it forever. One, I think did it did crop the image. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it actually did crop what you got in the file. Okay. I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and here's the thing too. Like, so with the I don't remember, man. That's too long ago. That's <laughs> D2X. Jeez, that's like 2005 or oh, something. Man. Um. Well, you know, Jeez. interestingly, when you're talking right there about having that in the camera, and we're just talking about the the overlays in a digital capture program on the computer to show you this needs to be Oh, here. that's the best way. Well, here's here's the thing. It's like, I don't know how I have to start this, uh, this movement, but with modern mirrorless cameras, there's no reason from a technology standpoint, and it'd be very easy. It's not a lot of heavy lifting. Your viewfinder and your Z9 or your C whatever, or mm-hmm. whoever's mirrorless camera that they have. What's to <laughs> stop them from letting a user like you download to your data card an overlay and have it appear in the viewfinder as you're shooting? So that if you want to go out sometime and not necessarily have a laptop and be tethered and have a tech, wouldn't it be cool if you could see in the viewfinder an overlay? Yeah, it would, for you know, sure. If a company, I, I don't know if that's possible, really. Absolutely it is. No, I mean on my camera. Oh, if it's possible right now. I don't I don't think yeah, it is right now. I, I haven't seen anybody uh, mention that you could do an overlay in the camera. And here's the thing. Canon, Nikon, Panasonic, whoever's listening, okay, Capture One, it's a feature that they want for professionals. Why wouldn't some professionals want it in body? Right? Yeah. Now, here's an extension of why I think that'd be kind of cool. Say, you know, you have your family. And you go on vacation to the same place year after year after year after year, right? And you take a family portrait in front of the same tree year after year after year after year. Wouldn't it be cool if you went back there after 10 years and you set up your tripod, you set up your camera, and now you can like overlay one of the prior year's photos so that you can get everybody positioned properly. Be like, Amy, no, move a little <laughs> bit to the left. Okay, Agnes, I know you're taller now, but move a little bit to the right. You know, and you could, <laughs> you could get the perspective just exactly right every time. That's because true. You'd be, you, you could even use like, um, like uh, reverses so you have like phase detection to show you when things are not perfect. Like, okay, there's that railing next to the, to the pier. Um, it's still off a little bit. Okay, there it is. Perfect. Now it's on. <laughs> so Canon, Nikon, Panasonic, funny. Fuji, get to work on that. I'm sure it's not expensive to do. And the first guys that do it, the professionals will be like, oh, man, you guys are awesome. So. There's a lot of things like that. I think they're they're scared of actually having someone be able to upload something onto their their cameras. Uh, that's that's the only thing I can guess. Because, dude, if we if we could, I mean, you can do more with your iPhone. Oh yeah, you can yeah. you can literally transmit. Yeah. you know, you can do so many things. If if the when the first company that says, okay, we're going to put a a cellular first, signal inside well, that camera, the first company oh, that licenses from Google or Apple the power of their imaging 
uh, mojo, like all the things that they've learned. Cause we've had this discussion how many times yeah. where if I'm walking out the door and I know I just need to take pictures for me, my SLR still sits here because yeah, the camera is going to fix the sky for me. The camera's going to mm -hmm. fix highlights for me. The cameras are doing so much work I know. that if I just want a keepsake photo, they're taking the best images. It's amazing. I show the client the back of the camera and they go, how come it doesn't look like my, my phone? Right. I said, it will. It will. But yeah, it's, it's just that your phone fixed yours. Yeah. I have to fix mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ten, I have to take 10, oh ten, no. ten years and trillions of dollars of smartphone purchases has gotten their software <laughs> to the point that it'll make that beach yeah. scene perfect for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Plus, the first camera company that allows apps. Right. That, that'll be the end right there, man. Yeah. Well, you can, it'll probably never be an Apple thing no, because no. no, Apple's never going to allow that to happen. But it'll, Google. I mean, some Google. of the Android ones or Google or whatever, if they can, you know, somehow get into cahoots with Nikon or, or Canon or Fuji or Panasonic or whoever and make a, a professional camera that can mm -hmm. take an app, can you imagine, dude? It'll be, it'll be a game changer. It's it's hard to comprehend because if you think about how good of a job they do with those tiny tiny lenses and those tiny tiny sensors with yeah. the almost invisible photo sites, right? Yeah. Just imagine what they could do with big glass and a big ass oh. honking full frame sensor. I mean. Yeah, and the processing power in a, in a DSLR is far larger than than they can put into a phone. Well, it could I don't know, be, man. It could be, but I, out of the gate, the 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 phones have them beat as far as that goes. I mean, oh yeah, right they're microcomputers yeah, sure. at this point. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're amazing. They have more power than my uh, my first Apple II C. Right. Did. Right. <laughs> NASA. More, NASA didn't have this much power until like the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just look at the amount of RAM it has. For Christ's sake, it's like. Yep. Forget about it. Yeah, dude. There's, there's a lot of things. Um, I think for your for your application, the, the biggest training situation that people can get into is trying to figure out how to shoot for the end result a little better. When they're they're trying to shoot for a magazine, it's a different aspect ratio. It's a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And training your brain to do that is not that difficult. It just requires a little effort to leave a little room around it and oh, yeah. and realize that a 35 millimeter uh, image sensor or piece of film does not fit a magazine. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't. It doesn't fit that way. And, you know, That's why the RZ67 took off because oh, it was six by seven, right? And it fit. Yep. It fit the fashion magazine. So basically, every fashion person it, that it was, forced them that to was, think in those terms. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. that's what the viewfinder looked like. So yep. when everybody was started out with, with Hasselblad, and Hasselblad was wicked, don't get me wrong, and I, everyone loves them and still loves them, but it's a square format. It didn't fit mm -hmm. a magazine. You yep. had to think, okay, well, where are those lines going to cut off? Well, I think and back in the day, didn't, differently about that. didn't they even have like little insert things that would sort of like be like blinds or like actually it's sort a, of like mat out? It's a mask, yeah. just like mask like color. what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, except it was well, physical exactly instead of digital. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was a piece of like acetate or a little piece of pla plastic that was painted black around the edges. But it was the same thing when we got when I got my first phase one back. Those the sensor sizes were not that 
they were medium format, but they weren't medium format like six by seven size. They weren't that gigantic. So we actually had to put in a little overlay on the viewfinder that would black out those areas. Because you were still Otherwise, seeing everything the lens would see, but the sensor yeah, wasn't. Oh. But the sensor was not. So oh. you, if you left that mask out, you, and you went did your composition, and like you'd have this thing where now you had this mm-hmm. beautiful portrait, and now all you have is like the eyes and the nose and the top of the lip. Oh. Yeah, part of the person was cut off. Yeah. Wow! Wow! What a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And that. And then you realize real quick how to uh, mm-hmm. adjust your style of shooting. And I think that's basically what you're referring to with a lot of the people that are submitting these pictures. They're they're taking the pictures with, with the intention of filling the frame and right. making themselves happy. But then they're second guessing and, and wanting to submit them for a magazine. Well, it, you should think of the process that all the images you should be shooting with the with the intent of submitting them to some place well whether you know, it be, i'll take you know, it i'll take it online. one i'll take it one step further for me it's always been sort of i mean and and like back in the day when we first had the first digital cameras and they were like three and four megapixels okay you really had mm-hmm. only so much you know firepower as far as what you could capture and filling the frame meant meant image quality but now that right. we're into like you know 30 30 plus sized megapixel sensors um, you've got plenty of good quality capture that there's no sure. there's there's no shame in thinking in terms of this of you know what I'm gonna pull back just a bit <coughs> excuse me capture a whole lot more and then later I'm gonna I'm gonna decide on the crop because here's the thing right. you don't know <coughs> again sorry you don't know ultimately like you know what you could take a photo that somebody sees and says hey we'd love to do this with it. And if you're, if you're boxed into a corner, if you're cropped into a corner, and that's all you have, it might be the difference of having that used commercially or in a major publication or online or whatever the case may be, uh, just because you you didn't have that option. And yeah. here's the thing. Yeah. You can always crop in a bit tighter. You can never go back and create. Even though AI is getting amazing, it's still not the same as having all that data from the get-go. Right. I'm even to it, the point anymore. You can, where, you can do some of the adjusting if you're shooting in the studio white or a backdrop of color, <laughs> something like that. But when you get into shooting oh, yeah, on yeah. location, like we were on, on uh, like complex backgrounds and things yeah. like that, I don't have an airport I can just drop in. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, sure, you can find some stuff, but, you know, the, the odds of you being able to clone parts of those you know planes or what have you clone something in the background it's going to look a little bit more off it's going to be a whole lot more difficult when all you need to do is give yourself a little bit more space and you'll be golden i'll tell you something that happens for us a lot is sometimes we do see those images that we love and they fill the frame and we still love them enough that what we try is We'll put them into the layout and then typically open them in Photoshop. And if the if the subject is a is a person and they're they're mostly in the middle, um, we'll, we'll take like. In fact, I think we we actually tried to show this to to Nikolai when you were up last time. We actually had on his computer about um, you know how I I'll take like the entire left side of the frame and, oh, and yes, stretch that's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what's yeah. interesting is you can even still have a very complex uh, background to an image and you could get away with stretching at like 10, 15%. And most people aren't going to look at it and be weirded out. Now, if there was another person in that area that you're stretching, they just gained a bunch of weight. That's not going to work. But you know, <laughs> no. there, 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 there have been those times where we have done that. And even though we're loath to do it because there's so much content that comes through, that's, that's usable. 
you know, it's just a testament. Yeah, that's, that's the other part of that. Is it really your responsibility no. to retouch other people's images? No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to change yeah, somebody else's art. Yeah, you don't have time for that either. That's not what magazines do. No, no time. And I mean, it's back not in the my day when I was to, to do that, doing some of those magazines, I don't remember ever doing that either. Mm -hmm. um, they expected the file to come through ready. finished and ready to go, and they gave you the dimensions. And if it didn't fit, then basically tough crap. That's on you. you were out. Yeah, that yeah, you're out. If it didn't fit where they put, it, they wanted to put it, then they didn't use it. They had more art to use, mm -hmm. and and. Uh, there's many times when, when you would shoot for magazines. What we would originally do for magazines, um, you, they would contract you to go out and shoot a subject. Well, they would pay you the day rate, which was, you know... X to cover your time. Yeah, yeah, maybe $500, you know, something small. And then but if then you delivered... You also, yeah. yeah, you delivered the images, and what they would do is they would pay you then a page rate for usage of each image based on the size of the image used. Mm -hmm. So if you if you were contracted to shoot a model or a, or a kayaker or whoever, and you wanted the cover, well, you best shoot it so it fit, it fit the mm -hmm. cover or it's considered for the cover and they went with something else. Right. So you're, you're, you had to do the math. You had to do the, the, the thinking or it, it just didn't get used because well, there was nobody going to do that but you. Well, and there's, there's the thing. So they, they only have so much time and so much resources. Um, if yeah. just like we talked about with business, if you make it easy on them, then you're going to get that, that, that nod. And for sure. I think a great example yeah. of that for me personally was way back when I shot that custom motorcycle of, uh, of, of a friend, Bob Kate and his, he had a friend who did this custom bike and yeah. Jeff who owned the bike was a graphic artist and he wanted to submit some of the photos of this bike with a model to a magazine. And he hired me to come and shoot the bike. And we, you know, we got the model and we did the shoot. And I have to say that I think the three things that transpired here was that, you know, I'm looking at it from a standpoint of, I was working for a company and we were doing a lot of print work and I was shooting, I was shooting content for uh, newsletters and uh, publications that we had that were all in half by 11. And so I'm, I'm already thinking in terms of that. He told me it's going to be for a magazine. I'm thinking in terms of the format. So I did a pretty good job. Then what happens is he as a graphic artist takes all the images and curates it and puts together like a package of like the best of, and he even did some like mock-ups of like layouts, right? Then he, then he had Bob, who was a professional writer, write a story about the bike and the build and everything. And he sends it to this publication that he really wanted to get it in. And I think three or four months had transpired and he sent me an email and he's like, Hey, yeah, so-and-so they're going to, they're going to use, you know, the photos for an issue coming up. And I'm like, great killer. We, we did it. And then it was like a few months later. He's like, yeah, they're going to give us a really big spread. It's going to be like six, eight pages. I'm like, Oh my God, that's, that's fantastic. And then <laughs> like a month or two yeah. later, it's like, Oh, it's going to be on the cover of the thing. I was like, wow. Right. And you know, you, you almost, I didn't think about it in the moment, but we had that trifecta of three people thinking in terms of what that magazine needed. And I just imagine after the fact them getting that, that package and you know, their, their art directors and their people that had to make decisions on what they're going to run. were probably like, well, this is ready to go. Like what, what do we have? What work do we have to do? Right. It's ready. to yeah, go. So it's easy. anything that you do, it's a matter of thinking ahead to be flexible that you can make somebody else's life a little bit easier. That's going to help open doors. That's going to help make things easier to get 
in, get your foot in where you want it to be in. So, oh, for sure, man. You know, and it's just something that, like, after time, it becomes kind of second nature. But for for those who are listening, who are new to it, and you're trying to, you know, hone your craft, um, even I'll I'll say it again, you know, back up a little bit, crop later, you might take some amazing images that uh, three years from now somebody with a company wants to use it as part of like a packet, you know, packaging, and the fact that you have more image available for them to situate it for a particular use that's not common it might be the difference of getting that done versus not. So yeah, I, I made mistakes, man. Oh, I've, I mean, I've had it too. Yeah. Yeah. I've shot them, shot them tight. And then they, they basically don't use any of the images. They, then you get paid your day rate, which is next to nothing, but you don't make any actual money on the job. On the because they, job. Cause they didn't they, use it for the job. Yeah. They didn't use it. Nope. They just, they just nix it. And these companies are so big and have so many things and they're doing so many things. They don't have any problem with just, just that's the game boom. yeah it's, it goes straight it's, trash. Nothing, it's nothing personal yeah. no no it, they don't even know they the person doing that that work probably doesn't even know who you are which is um, smart that's actually yeah. the way it should be yeah, it doesn't get it doesn't a, get personal it's just they didn't meet the requirements yeah right yeah exactly yeah yeah a good way to put it no totally totally so we covered a lot of those big things that i wanted to um uh, the overlays tethering um talking about you know what about color oh well you know do you, that's do you, does your uh, does mag cloud print in srgb or is it or is it adobe rgb um i forget what the <laughs> settings are these days because i've had the presets in indesign set forever um, okay but that's the, the only other thing that i i you know sometimes i like to have um well, for me, I would have to do the color correction and and the CMYK conversion because it was offset print. Right. But but now ninety percent of everything is. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, really, it's all sRGB. If it's if it's online, it's sRGB. If it's well, plus, if it's being printed, some of them are are using sRGB. Well, yeah, which well, you, they probably are because I was going to say that a lot are, of them have like built in uh, compensation. Like they they basically yeah. look at it, analyze it, and then they convert it to what they need anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> But well, they're doing uh, on-demand printing, which is right. different. And, you know, it's a different process too because it's not a yeah. traditional uh, like a like a line screen where you have like f- uh, the plates. Right? They definitely have perfection. They're they're, they're, they're they using they're using this thing that was developed in Israel of all places. That I, I I've heard them describe it as, and I, I can't get my head around this that they they put the ink on a rag. <laughs> They 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 load up a rag. They call it a rag with the with the four colors, and then they make the print. You know, they print the wow. cayenne and the yellow and the magenta and then the black. And I want to see this rag because most rags I have, I know if I get paint on them <laughs> and I touch it to something else, it's going to look like just, like a bird a like bird done. Yeah, it's not going to look like anything so fine and precise. So like yeah, the fact dude, that they call it a rag, I think is like just to throw us because I can't comprehend how any rag in the world would ever make a magazine look like they make the look yeah and, that doesn't make sense to me but yeah. the one thing i can say is i've done some tests where i've sent um uh well i've gotten you know publications back that i purchased and i'll compare them to the files now you know yourself unless your monitor's calibrated and you know that it's you know dead on but then even the viewing environment okay so you know mm-hmm. are you looking at it in a black room do you have lights turned on I mean, there's a reason certain monitors... What color are the lights? Yeah, and certain <laughs> monitors actually adjust for different times of the day because of the ambient lighting that you might be experiencing. And I know uh, from, my time, from my time up at uh, 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 Saks Fifth Avenue the, um, in, the, in the editing suite, those guys were like, that was a cave. 
there was no light in that place other than the light coming off the monitors, right? Oof. But everything was, everything was calibrated. So here's the thing. It's like, wh- what is right? My, my main thing with it is I'm not Coca-Cola demanding that the red be, you know, uh, yeah. the, the yeah, precise yeah. PMS 67975. I'm not going to demand and refuse work because it's not perfect. But I do want to know like what sort of deviation it has. Now, that's just for the print side of things. And I'm, I'm not so critical of it because it's going to shift around a little bit. And it's not something that needs to be absolutely precise. But when you just said color... Something that actually kind of just came to my mind, which I think is kind of maybe important to talk about, is this. We see lots of submissions where from the start of the shoot to the end of the shoot, it's as if they turned on different lights or were using different color temperatures because I'll see a set and it's great work, but then... You know, some of the images have that sort of like they, they favor the blues more and then they get warmer. And when the, the color temperature shifts and it's all over the place in a layout, that can get kind of like difficult to do. And it can kind of get uh, sloppy as far as uh, like fatigue. Like I, I find if I look at a set and there's different like the, the photos have color all over the map. It doesn't it doesn't feel as cohesive. It doesn't like I don't care if it has a yellowish uh, uh, shift like I, I personally I personally in the last bunch of years as some photographers have been getting conscious of, of color temperature and white balance um, I tend to feel that when I see photos of people and the photographers perfectly white balance those I don't I don't they look too cold I don't like those images as much as the people that yeah. have a bit of a more warm shift to it and it's a difference of like now I don't know how it is for the Nikon camera but I know on the on the Canons if you shoot raw and you process it and you look at that thing and you color balance it for for perfect color temperature and you compare it to their jpegs their jpeg processing those guys must have decided we're going to bump up the warmth we're going to we're going to kick the reds there's things that they do that the JPEGs tend to be more pleasing than the raw files, and it tends to be those things that make people feel warmer and fuzzier about them. Now, for something mm-hmm. technical, different matter, but for people, for people, they they have that sort of warm shift going on there. So when I'm yeah. talking about color and, and the variations, I'm not saying that any one is, is good or bad. I mean, sometimes I, I love that cool look. Sometimes, you know, depending on the theme, um, that sort yeah. of like blue ice thing is, is kind of cool, right? Yeah. But, but I don't care which way you go. But I do care if you do five photos that have that blue thing going on, and then there's three other ones that look like they were shot with nothing but tungsten, okay? And they're all yeah. yellow, and the people look like they have jaundice, okay? That's that's a, a little a lot unsettling. Of that's probably um, auto white balance. That's probably what that some of that is. And it just shifts it around, right? So, yeah. so there's a tip for yeah. those of you who who actually do your own. Um, you know, if you're coming from raw do all of your your color balancing together at the same time and commit to it instead of having it yep. get all over the map. And we, I'll tell you, when I was shooting product at Saks, we would start the day, we'd shoot to a gray card or a color card, and we'd, you know, we'd zero it out. Right. Um, I think we were using pro photo lights. And if you mm-hmm. took a break, when you came back, they wanted you to reset it again. And I was always amazed at how much those lights would shift. Right. They they would they would creep into warmer as the day went on. As they got hot, as they got as they got used a bunch. Yeah, they, burned in, yeah. They they went from beautiful, you know, white to warmer. And huh. really, really really messed me up, yeah. Well it's 
that's one of the things that I learned with like uh, speed lights versus most uh, heads. Like there's a lot of heads that at their different power settings have different color temperatures, you know? So there's only a few brands that you have uh, like a color consistent uh, output at different power outputs. The Einsteins were one of them. I think who makes those ones called Soros? Was that a brown color? That was brown color. Well, I think yeah. I think brown color sorrows specifically um, were were color color perfect at all output levels, which well, that's part of the reason you pay six times more for brown color stuff because of that particular aspect, aspect that yeah. and the, and the flash duration. They always they used to be the fastest of the fastest. Right now, there's there's lots know, of them that are fast. Yeah. Gotten, yeah, there's yeah. a lot that are pretty fast. They they might still fit the bill as being the fastest. I don't know. I don't research it anymore. But that's that's a that's a very bizarre thing about way too much money on them. <laughs> about speed lights though, because speed lights actually are very color accurate at different outputs, and then they have that fast duration as well. So, yeah, you, know, you can if you put a speed light um, next to any other light, though, you'll see that it's cooler. Oh yeah, it, it it definitely has a different look to it, no matter what. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, if you ran it at like 164th power versus full on, they're pretty good, right? The color is going to be the same, almost off yeah. versus on. Yeah. Well, think about this too. Um, you know, if you look like at a new Nikon speedlight, they're 500 bucks, man. Oh yeah. They're yeah. they're 500, 500, 600 dollars. Oh, Canon, Canon has that one's a thousand dollars now. Yeah, they're, they're so you're basically paying for almost a pro light right, right. at that point. So they better be good. Mm-hmm. At, for a thousand dollars, they better be. If, now, if they fluctuate a, sh- a ton in 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 color temperature for a thousand dollars, I think I would throw it back at them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and here's here's another thing. And I know you've done this on some of the commercial shoots you've been on, and this is something that we see as well when it comes to color. Sometimes we see submissions, and you have a model in a setting with. Are you ready? You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make a noise. Mixed lighting. <laughs> okay well, <laughs> so so yeah you know what i'm talking about because you've been in places where they've got tons of fluorescent lighting and then they have a display with some incandescent lighting and Ugh. you've got your flashes trying to fill and, and and make light on the people that happen to be there that day and yet you have somebody that's standing right next to one of those tungsten lights mixed yeah. lighting is a tough thing now I'm pretty sure in the past you've done events and I've seen you put gels on your speedlights, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always do, yeah. So I you, always balance for tungsten and correct for daylight later. So you you match, you try and match your flash to what the light is in the room. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, and this is, and, and for those who just listened to all that and said, what the hell are they talking about? Okay. A good example would be this. You see a photograph and let's say it's a model. And she's in a room and she's sitting on a beautiful old vintage sofa and there's a lamp next to her. Really cool, whatever, lamp, swag lamp. And there's a light bulb in that lamp and it's a traditional warm tungsten light. Now the photographer sets up and if... 3,200 degrees Kelvin. <laughs> I, you know what? I, 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 I tend to treat them like 26 because I do like them a little warmer when I compensate. But anyway, if, if, if you're there and you set up your lights and you have your flash, whatever it is, and they are more daylight balanced, meaning they look like the sun. They're a lot more closer to 5,600 degrees Kelvin or what? 56 up to like 65, somewhere in there. 
You know, that depends on what your eyes can see. Well, well, plus it depends on the time of day, because we know the morning and the afternoon is going to be different. 5,500, 5,600, yeah. I know know lots of light bulbs. If you buy buy a light bulb and it's daylight balanced, it's 5,600K. So here's the thing. You're in that environment, and the model sitting on that sofa, and you have all your other light is more blue, 5,600K, but she's sitting right next to this thing that's putting out 2,600K light, which is more yellow. You now have this situation where sometimes I see these shots where it's a little, it looks a little weird and maybe you've experienced it and you don't know why this is why. And you get the photo and you're looking at it and you think, wow, the scene looks really good. But on the right side of her face next to that light, she looks really orange, right? Mixed lighting creates problems with that and it can be, it it, it can be distracting sometimes. So a project for most of you who have just heard about this and are curious about it now is to think in terms of when you're doing a shoot and you have a couple different light sources, what are their color temperatures and how much are they impacting your main subject? I say it that way because sometimes we can mix color temperatures on purpose. I mean, sometimes you see imagery where lots of times you take it to an extreme and you literally put a red gel on a light. So you get this like red, red edge or a green one or a blue one, whatever it may be. And sometimes that's amazing. Um, sometimes you control it and get some great stuff to happen. Uh, the same way too, even if you were like, weren't even necessarily talking, you know, an actual color, uh, sometimes, cause I, I'll tell you what I've done. Um, there have been some times where I've done some shoots and I do my typical thing where I favor the more warm tones. And even though I have all my source lighting is the same color temperature and I, I like how that looks, sometimes I'll throw an overlay on top of it with a bit of a cooling filter and I'll just back off the subject just a little bit so that my environment has that warm look, but the subject doesn't look necessarily yellowy, if, it, if, it, if you follow what I'm saying. But I, yeah. do, I do that mm-hmm. in post totally. versus having a, a gel on the, on the, you know, a gel on one of the lights, even though I've done that too, but color, color, color balance, color consistency. Um, that's something that we actually do look at as well, but not so critically. Um, well, the consistent part is, is probably what one. you would be concerned with most. That's a, that I is mean, a big one. Yeah. It can be color in general can be an artistic, you know, endeavor, oh, absolutely. absolutely. but if, if one of them is one shade and the other one's a different shade That's, and the other one's a different tone and this one has magenta and that one has green and this one has yellow and this one has blue, that feels weird. you're going to, it's going to be a massive disconnect in your, in your layout. Well, what happens for me is if I have just different images on different pages, like let's say there's uh, um, we have a set and we give it four pages. If the left page and the right page, everything that's on them is the same temperature, fine. And then you, you turn the page and then all of a sudden it's like a little bit different. Most people don't, get hit in the face with it. But if you have a bunch of work and we do like this nice two page thing with, uh, let's say there's an image that can span from one to the other and, mm-hmm. and you try and like insert some others on top of that, that are decidedly different. That's when you really notice it. They really stand out as this one's not quite like the other. This is different. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that would be tough. What happened? That's man? why I don't do any page layout, man. <laughs> well, I just you know, take and, the picture. And, and here's the thing too. And this is just like an, a, a, a subtle thing for some people listening, but well, I mean, you know, cause we've talked, um, the magazine has gone from being retro lovely a couple of years ago to now being 10 different titles. We have a right. lot of different, uh, you know, specialty publications for different types of photography. And then even within some of the styles, we have different tiers, right? So, so like for classic pinup, we have retro lovely. We also have cat club and people will say, well, what's right. the difference? 
And the difference is this. There is an ocean of work that's being created that's fun, that looks looks good, that people say, oh my God, I love that. Okay. But it's missing some of those refined attention to detail aspects that, you know, there's, there's a point where you say, does this belong in the Metropolitan Museum of Art or, you know, on my desk? And that sometimes that's two different things. And when we have two different titles or we have a couple titles that we reserve for the, for the work that everything came together perfectly, not just how cute you looked, not just how good your hair was, but also did the photographer pay attention to color balance and consistency and were things cropped in such a way that we can, we can display them, you know, uh, well in that medium. And so, so what we have is we have different titles that, that are more accommodating to the stuff that's fun, but isn't necessarily a masterpiece. I mean, there's, there's tons of that and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, some of those, some of those titles that don't have like the, the perfect on every count work, there is some amazing stuff in those. I mean, like oh, I myself, yeah. like sometimes I, sometimes I see some shots that I know if I showed it to you, you'd criticize it till you were blue about this, this, and the other thing. But yeah, there's, some, there's something about them that I love because either it's the expression or there's something in the setting. You know, there's still enough about it that I love it, even though it isn't a perfect example of a perfect execution. So at least now we have different titles that we can we can be a lot more accommodating. Because I mean, it used to be that. Uh, you know, I, I I would see you know people posting online like oh yeah they're so hard to get into and you know they're they're too critical and this and that and the other thing. What happens is you end up with a, a vast ocean of artists and people that are that are doing this who get discouraged. And if 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 they always hear no, they're going to stop asking. So mm-hmm. by having yeah. these different vehicles, you know, it's like it's like you or I. If we went to a major concert with a major act that you know we grew up with and that we loved. And they were excellent musicians. We'd have, we'd have expectations as far as the show is concerned. We could go down the block to a bar and hear a local band playing the same songs and have every bit as much fun, but it's not as polished. Okay. So there's a place for each thing. And that's what we're trying to do with the different titles. Cool. So, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Oh yeah. It's been, I think it's been a, a, a really good home run and, you know, what's nice about this now is uh, hopefully as we get some of these resources online and talk about these things more in depth and, and start to give examples eventually, um, that like, you know, eight and a half by 11, I'm seeing it. So I hope, I hope, I hope we have, uh, we're able to like get things wrapped up a bit, but I think cool, I've, I've covered most of the things that I really had on my mind for this installment because we have so much more we could talk about and we should in the future as far as, you know different things but yeah just make it another one yeah yeah i mean there's, there's we've different... been at this one for one hour and 55 minutes wow yeah it's not a biggie <laughs> <laughs> all right sir well i i appreciate this immensely and it's it's i'm glad it occurred to me because as we've been working for on these sure. other ones i because i have referenced i have referenced the people you mentioning about the acetates and about the ground glass and how it used to be on set and a, and a director showing you showing you where things need to be and the value oh, dude it was even more complicated than that oh, really? they would draw yeah because they would draw a plate and they would draw a plate in one way but the the ellipse of the opening of the plate or something would never match a real plate oh yeah and, and we'd have to sit there and try and make it match and <laughs> oh my god it's you know they would they'd create impossible drawings yeah Com- yeah well i mean they can draw their mind 
but right. a real plate is not <laughs> that's not it at that angle you know, at that perspective to that the, ellipse yeah, is not exactly. that shape yeah yeah it just doesn't work that way mm-hmm. but we it's amazing how much you can get accomplished with a four by five or a, a camera with with uh movements i was just gonna say with the with the shift capabilities yeah yeah, you need you need to be able to do all the movements, or otherwise you'd never get there. So now, for you kids who have only ever shot with your phone or digital, movements is the ability. <laughs> Stop! I have to explain this. You, you're talking like we know that. I mean, I know what you're talking about, but a lot of people hearing that right now doesn't. So, okay. the movements are this. Imagine if you had your camera and you have the sensor or the film, and you have the lens in front of it. Just imagine it's just one lens at this point. Because a lot of times in those cases, like with the bellows, it is pretty much one lens. Like if you put a 50 millimeter out front, right? You have you have things that are much more simple. What, no, you, yeah, can, what, you, what you would typically have is with your cameras and your smartphones and everything else, the lens is always perfectly parallel to the image capturing device, meaning the sensor or film. So always parallel. Now, what they found in the early days of photography, if you have a camera where you can take that lens and change its you know relative position to the to the medium you could actually affect the shape of objects so if you took like a good for instance you're you're in new york city and you're in front of the empire state building and you're looking up at it with your camera and you take a photo i guarantee you the photo is going to make the top of the the top of the building much more narrow than the base it's going to look like a, a a triangle almost okay mm-hmm. it's, it's going to distort it in such a way that it's a triangle now a lot of people when they look at that they understand yeah if you're standing in front of it and you're looking up it looks like a triangle but there's sometimes you want that to look like a perfectly straight building that each each side is parallel to itself well they found out if you're standing in front of that building with a, with a camera that has movements you could turn the lens you can actually angle the lens until you saw the top of the building look the same width as the bottom of the building and create a perfectly, you know, symmetric uh, experience. Uh, movements allow you to do that sort of thing. They let you be creative as well. And in the case of what Kent was just talking about with, um, you know, changing the shape of something, it, it might be the situation where, you know, it gets that plate to be the right shape that the art director thought it should look like. Yeah. Also, it, there's another way of doing that. It also makes, you, know, you can put different things in focus. All right. Yeah, like those, those if, if any of you have ever seen on any social media platforms a photo of a city and you see one area that's kind of in focus and everybody looks like miniature, tiny little, little putions, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's making a narrow, um, a narrow, what, field of, no, it's not field of view. I don't know what it has to do with the focus, the focus, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely tilts and shifts and yeah, and stuff like that that you would you would modify and then it just looks like a toy train, a toy, a toy. Uh, you know what that actually reminds me city. of? I, I back in the day of film, I thought I had to buy one of those to do the effect of what the what the television people were using called an anamorphic lens to mm. to make something that was uh and here's formatting again imagine this imagine the imagine the pain in the in the early days of television when they decided they wanted to start broadcasting movies and movies if you ever went to a movie theater those things were a lot wider than they were tall and in the early days <laughs> of television the television screens some of them were round when they started and then they kind of became kind of you know square and sort of rectangular. They're not remotely like your modern television. Think about the ones from your grandmother's house that 
had a warm up and had 13 channels. We're talking the, the TVs of the 50s and you know 40s, 50s and 60s that were kind of kind of close to square. Now you have a broadcast network has to take a movie that's almost twice as wide and fit it onto the screen of a television. That's why sometimes when you look at those old movies, there's like an actor on the left that's completely cut off because there's no way they could get him in the view. But what they yeah. did have was they would take and they would project the films through what they called an anamorphic lens, which would basically compress one aspect. So it would make either, either would stretch one or would compress the other you know, direction. And while it was great for television to do that, some photographers found if they had an anamorphic lens, they could do some like surreal uh, photos where things were sort of stretched. And this is before computers, like easy to do today. And there was a point where I remember, God, it cost me like $200 back then, but I bought this anamorphic lens that I was able to attach to the front of my camera. Actually, it was an attachment that went on a lens. It wasn't even... Yeah, I was just going to say... You couldn't even attach it to the... It was, lens, yeah. I had to screw it on to... to and it was heavy. Like, I was always afraid yeah. it was going to break because you had the plastic oh, mounts. Oh, my God. But, yep. but back in the day, I was the man with that lens because when I shot models, I would throw it and I'd make them taller than they actually were. And <laughs> even though... Even though if you like looked at it today, it's like a little ridiculous because it was different and because they looked taller... They loved it. They loved yeah. that thing. The animorphic you had, lens. You yeah. had the infamous lens. I had the lens. I had the mojo. It was like the magic piece Yo, of glass. Yeah. Can you make me look better in the picture? And you're like, absolutely, I can. I have just the tool for that. That was like the first and only time in my life that women would say, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> on that note, I think that's it. All right, brother. Listen. Up. I appreciate this immensely, and we're going to do it Dude, again. Dude, absolutely, man. Right, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we and hopefully, you we know what? Talk about. Maybe, maybe what we could do is ramp up and, and actually do something, Zoom at some point in the future with some more of this other stuff. And I would really like to yeah. um, have you get me, well, we have your website, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to repost some of your, um, some of the videos that you've done in the past few years with your project. And for those who maybe heard it two hours ago, um, Kent had embarked upon this really cool idea where with his, his uh, film cameras, with his view cameras, he found that you can go on eBay and buy film that is out of, out of, out of date. And it's like actually expired. Like the company says, it's probably not going to work. And yeah, from like 1950, dude, uh, dude. So <laughs> no, I was going to say, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the shoot yeah. that we did in at, for the wedding in Florida that we did the portrait. Wasn't that film yeah, that, from like 1920? That was 20 something, 27 or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And honestly, I would really love for you to pull out, um, good high resolution quality, uh, photos of the shots that you took at my studio with the girls, um, on the film, um, and get them on her for two reasons. One, I think it'd be cool if people listening to this could then go to the site and see these images. And two, it'll help me show off how we have that set so that images can be uploaded in very high resolution. Like I think it's, I have it set currently that it will accept 8,000 pixels by 8,000 pixels. So you could upload a really big ass photo and there's not a wow. lot of compression. So when you get one of those on there, people could go to the site, click on it and I've noticed in some browsers, there is a little link on the bottom edge of the image that says uh, view original, and it will actually launch the original image and you can zoom in on it. Um, oh, for, man. for browsers where that isn't possible, all you have to do is right click on it and say open in new tab. And what it does is it takes the image and puts it into a new 
browser tab. And from there, you can zoom in and see the image as big as it was intended. So I think those would be a phenomenal uh, 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 thing to show. And it's really fun to think, you know, Kent's been buying this. He's he's literally cornered the market on all the out of stock or out of code five by seven film in the world. Uh, he's got quite a stash of it. And what's what's kind of cool is you take the photos. You don't know. You don't know if you're going to get anything. You don't know if it's going to. Yeah, be you really have no idea. Yeah. Shit or kind of cool. And you've gotten some really pretty damn cool things so far. Yeah, I, I've definitely had some really fun things. Yeah, dig up the girls yeah. in the courses because they were really cool. You, wasn't one of them recognized by some website? Oh, I don't remember. I think I, was, think, I think I might have had one of them win like one of the Spider Awards or something. Yeah, like yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I remember. I don't know if it was Ruby or if it was Mika, but I remember you. You had one of them was was recognized. So, let's, oh let's yeah, you're, I think one of them was. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, I mean, I have them. It's not a hard thing to do. Hey, I, if you I forget, Matt, I'm your fan. I'll remember. Hey, Mike, just, just before we go, we're, we're here for two hours and five minutes, and guess what didn't happen the whole time? Oh, you, you I, dropped the F-bomb earlier, though. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Because I commented I did on not. it. Yeah. Oh, you said that was before we Well, were, we okay, were that was before I introduced we you. Really so you were recording. You know what? The fact that you bring that up means you were working hard. You were working hard to hold that back. I'm surprised you didn't burst. <laughs> I and, was about to say fuck just now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all, all right. you young whippersnappers, we'll, we'll chat with you later. Man. All right, thank you so much. Talk to you later, man. Ciao, See you.